Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a crowd podcast. Robert Enker needs to talk. It's early evening, late summer on the Mediterranean. The sun's gone, but the heat sits heavy over the stadium. The crowd's small, certainly compared to the ones Robert's used to. But they're in close, crammed in tight and steep, just the other side of the sidelines. Big crowds make a wall of sound, a rolling rumble that rises, falls and never lets up. This is different. It's more personal, more intimate. Robert can hear them and he can listen to them. Lone voices cut through the white noise. He can make out what they're saying, what they're saying about his team, about the score, about him. In front of Robert, the match plays out under low wattage floodlights. It's like a dream. The Barcelona shirts are smudges of blue and maroon. The faceless opposition shift with strange speed and the action lurches without logic. Barcelona are a superpower. Novelda are two divisions below, small fry to be eaten up without a second thought. But it doesn't look like it tonight. On their bumpy, narrow pitch deep into the second half, the scores are level, 2-2. The ball squirts to Novelda's captain. He puts in a cross and it hangs over the Barcelona box. Below, seconds stretch out for Robert. He needs to talk. He needs to tell his defender he's coming to catch it or to warn him of the striker lurking over his shoulder. He needs to talk, to dispel the looming danger to prevent the possible becoming the inevitable. He needs to talk. Instead, Robert stays silent. He stays on his line. He watches as the striker reaches the first cross. He pours at the header, but the ball flashes past him. He doesn't talk as he trudges through delirious home fans at full time, or as he showers, dresses and leaves the dressing room. Outside, he's collared by a small group of reporters. But he doesn't talk to them, not really. He mutters some short platitudes, words designed to close down their interview rather than fuel it. He sits on the team bus in silence, waiting for the ignition to turn, take him away from his debut defeat, to take him towards its consequences. Robert Enker needs to talk. It sounds simple. 
but the voice he needs has been squeezed. It can't find a way out. Not when there's so much baggage from the past. Not when there's so much uncertainty in the future. And the pressure is growing. You see, football used to be simpler. The stakes lower, the stresses easier to bear. For a child in the 80s in East Germany, anonymity is everywhere. Behind Robert's front door is a house identical to his neighbours. Beyond it are corridors and courtyards of blank concrete. And young imaginations quickly fill in the lines. A teammate or opponent is only a knock on the door away. With a ball and a dream, you can be anyone, swerving around the washing line, shooting at a painted goal. To adult eyes, it's more complicated. Robert's neighbourhood is one of many built to solve a problem. East Germany's post-war population was swelled by refugees, its cities shattered by Allied bombing. Giant slabs of prefabricated concrete lock together to provide an answer. Vast housing projects with huge capacity and no identity. It's a practical solution. In East Germany, this socialist outpost surrounded by capitalism, community is everything. Collective is king. Social cohesion trumps individual expression. The economy is controlled for the good of everyone. While consumerism calls from the West, Robert's childhood home and the thousands alongside it stand tall for something purer. A rejection of decadence, a higher ideal, a shared purpose, a people united in a common goal. By the time Robert's kicking a football around his estate, that theory is struggling a bit. There's border security, but people escape to the West. Despite the propaganda, brands, culture and ideas make it to the East. As the Cold War ends, it's a system being frozen out, but the mentality lives on. So what does it mean for a young Robert? His friend's father, who's not a member of the ruling party, finds he can't become a teacher. Robert's own father has hopes of an athletics career stubbed out when postcards from family in West Germany get intercepted. Adult stuff. Boring bureaucracy. Nothing as important as a kick around with the other kids. But that's how East Germany has been holding it together for decades. At its height, the Stasi, that's the state's secret police force, employs nearly one in 30 citizens. It creates towering piles of paperwork, hundreds of millions of files covering mile after mile of shelf. Every detail of individual life noted, analyzed and assessed. Neighbour informs on neighbour, brother on brother, son on father. Silence, suspicion, subservience to the system. That's often the only way to survive. Because on the wrong side of the authorities lies a labyrinth of institutions. Prisons that don't appear on any map. Asylums without hope of release. Mechanisms to force families apart. To smother dissent before it can spread to chill conversations before they get too honest. It isn't so sinister in Robert's childhood. Those horrors are unspoken. Parts of an adult world that thankfully pass him by. But there are faint echoes. 
You hear it in the conversations, always polite, never quite to the point. A certain reserve, a reluctance to deal with the messiness of human life, a concern it might not be possible to contain. When Robert's 11, he returns home from school one day to find his father, silent, tearful, standing by the door. He's got a packed bag in his hand. Robert asks his mother what's happening and continues to for weeks. The story never comes. Why have his parents separated? Why, after a few years, are they reunited? To young Robert, one thing is clear. The bonds between those he loves can be brittle. And silence? That can preserve them. Football fills some of the void. Robert's father, absent from the family home, is always on the sidelines. When Robert is picked for Germany's youth team to play England, he's there, sat among the thousands of schoolchildren watching at Wembley. Their conversations start and end with the game. Who's in form, a moment of skill, a controversial call. They share their love of football. And they don't share anymore. Years later, after he becomes goalkeeper for Germany's senior team, Robert gives an interview. When footballers speak to the press, there are rules. Neither side needs them explained, but everyone knows them. Just like the pitch, there are boundaries. Some subjects are fair game, others are out of play. Then there are tactics, to accentuate strengths, to hide weaknesses, deflection, distraction, downright dishonesty, all are legitimate strategies. But those watching, listening, reading, must never know. For the audience, it's a conversation, a free, open exchange. That's the performance. That's the pretense. Only Robert. He lets us in on the secret. He breaks the fourth wall. This is his reveal. You can trick the press. You talk a lot, but you say very little. I have a phrase for a win, for a draw, for a defeat. I have two opinions, my personal feelings and those which I serve to the public. Robert's comfortable with the deceit, because to him, it's as natural as truth. At home, in conversation with his father, running through East Germany, the facade is always there. For Robert, hidden is protected. Openness is danger. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.
Goalkeepers are different. Their responsibilities and abilities set them apart from the rest of the team. In a heavy defeat, they can still be the star. In an easy victory, they can still be ridiculed. They're the last line of defence and the first in the firing line. Make a mistake elsewhere on the pitch and a teammate can cover for you. Make it in goal and you're alone and exposed. The old cliché is that goalkeepers are crazy. Odd. That the position nurtures eccentricity. It's not true. But every goalkeeper must find a balance, a way to walk the tightrope, to deal with those sky-high stakes, vertigo-free. Does Robert strike it right? Well, his father's a sports psychologist. Even when they talk about football, about the game, it always comes back to one issue. He can't relax. He picks his words carefully. He second-guesses how they'll land in his son's ear, a professional approach to his personal life. Looking back on Robert, he sums it up simply. Robert had this way of thinking, he says. If I'm not the best, I must be the worst. At 19 years old, Robert arrives in the Bundesliga, the top division in Germany. He's understudy to Uwe Kamps, a 32-year-old veteran, a man who's played more than 300 games. Kamps is a circus strongman on the pitch, all testosterone and theatrics, and the audience adores him. In one cup semi-final, he's carried off the pitch shoulder high after saving all four of the opposition's penalties. He is the undisputed top dog to Enka's young pup. On the first morning at training, they do warm-up drills together, just to get their gloves on the ball, the stiffness out the muscles. They start by throwing the ball between themselves. Camp slings it at Enka, with a steady stare and increasing pace behind each one. He only stops when the coach asks them to switch exercise. This time, they have to hit shots at each other, chest high into the body, to help the reflexes snap onto the ball. Camp slaps the first one sweet off the laces. Robert catches it, but the barrage begins. Each ball smacking the palm of Robert's gloves is a punctuation point. Camps is proving himself, asserting the hierarchy. That's the way it is. The country may be working out what reunification means, but German football has no identity crisis. A few weeks before, the national team had won the European Championship, at a swagger too. They're a national stereotype of efficiency and quality, but there's a difference. This generation knows it too. The enduring image comes after beating England in the semi-finals. Germany's hero stands on the pitch at Wembley, chest puffed, hands on hips, basking in his victory, in the host's pain. Football is a simple game, they say, and the Germans are simply the best. Watching from the bench that day is Oliver Kahn, six foot two of raging ego and volcanic temper. He's going to be German goalkeeping's alpha male, scolding defenders, taunting rivals, glowering at strikers, always putting the me in team. Mental strength? For Khan, it doesn't just come from being secure in yourself, not when you can unsettle others instead. 
these are the West Germans Robert was warned about. They're everywhere in the Bundesliga dressing rooms. Living large and loud, jostling for status, stepping over each other to get ahead, preying on weakness. Robert doesn't stay long. He moves to Benfica in Portugal. He finds form. His frame fills out. His style, cool, considered and unruffled, makes him number one. His teenage number two is a friend, not a rival. Robert learns Portuguese, becomes captain. Lisbon and the warm summer months soothe him. He's polite, respected, happy and in demand. Manchester United try to buy him. Arsenal do too. Atletico Madrid are interested. But it's Barcelona that get him. Because when Barcelona ask, you can't say no. No matter how happy you are. Some clubs have a gravity that draws you in. Their galaxy of stars dazzle you. Robert has made it. The time when he's floored by stress and convinces a doctor to sign him off with flu... That's behind him. Those weird, irrational fears that almost make him tear up his first Benfica contract? Gone. The wobbles, the doubts, conquered. Just growing pains. Right? And then comes the debut at Novelda. A shock defeat. A bloody aftermath. His captain ignores the usual rules in front of a microphone. He shreds the silence that protects teammates. He blames Robert for one of the goals. The coach's trust leaks away and never returns. Robert's in limbo. The stars may be around him, but Robert floats in a vacuum. A player who doesn't play. A millionaire without meaning. And now the black dog bears its teeth for real. His depression leaves him wandering the house at night. It leaves him slumped in bed during the day. He spills his thoughts to his diary. His wife, Teresa, he says nothing to her. Time bends and slips. The pills prescribed on the sly only hold back the tide so long. His psychiatrist wants to rewire his mindset. That's how he describes it. To oil the cogs that grind together in his head. He tells Robert one mistake is not a whole game. One game is not a whole season. One season is not a career. And ultimately, a career isn't a life. What he doesn't mention is that life can be far crueler. Robert walks into training. He's older now, the hairline sneaking backward lines creasing his face. It's been four years since his Barcelona debut, three since the depths of his depression, two since his friends and family thought he might be out of football altogether. The silence that follows him through the corridors of Hanover's training ground, that's new. Eyes look elsewhere as he passes, conversations drop mid-flow as he approaches. Robert needs to talk. Only this time, it's the rest of the world that can't find the words. How do you? Three days before, he's woken up to find his two-year-old daughter's heart, defective since birth, has stopped. Two days before, the local children, dressed in white, 
have come to say a final goodbye to their friend, his child. And now he's here, at this ground zero of grief, pulling on the gloves and ready to train. What do you say? You don't? There are no words that survive that void. There's nothing to say that'll bridge that chasm. Instead, it's Robert who talks. He stands in the middle of the dressing room. He tells his teammates Lara has died, but he wants them to treat him the same. Don't stand off. Don't be silent. He does it again a few weeks later, this time in front of hundreds of reporters. The rules don't apply sometimes. Something so big can't be ignored. So Robert tackles it head on. He thanks the public for their letters, which arrive from around the country. He says everyone helps him and Teresa heal a little bit. He talks of life and death. He talks of a love that lasts beyond, of an infinite sadness left behind. He talks of the future. He says, things have to go on. Grief can't defeat you. He's composed and measured, and it's like nothing the media in Berlin have seen before. Such poise, such candour, under such an unbearable burden. Robert, you think, is a very different man. The youngster who left for Benfica couldn't handle the brashness of Bundesliga life, daunted by the posturing and pressure. Now, he's part of a new era, the atmosphere around the Germany team, that's different too. After beating one goalkeeper to a place in a European Championship squad, he phones to offer his commiserations. He gives another rival compliments in the press and honest advice in private. He doesn't really know the teenager at another club. He's only a few games into his top-flight career. But when the youngster makes a glaring mistake in a big match, Robert, watching the headlights at home, picks up the phone. He rings the glove sponsor they share and gets a number. They talk for an hour about the inevitability of mistakes and the road to redemption. Robert recognises in others what lies in him. He sees the possibility of his past repeating. Off the pitch, he drops out the rat race. He moves into a converted farmhouse. For the first few months, they share it with the artist they buy it from. He holds viewings, and Robert sits among the poets and critics. When the artist leaves, they fill the surrounding fields with animals, mainly rescued ones. There are nine dogs, two cats, a horse called Dickens. It would have drawn attention in the Bundesliga of the 90s. Then, men were men. It was a time to work hard, play hard, earn more and talk less. Theory and thought? There'd been enough of that in Germany's past two decades. They were tired of that, impatient to live at a faster pace. But these are gentler times. Germany has its first female leader, the scientist daughter of a clergyman urging cooperation at every turn. The new national team coach brings yoga, spirituality, relaxation techniques into the dressing room. For Robert and Teresa, Layla arrives an adopted daughter, to whom they tell stories of Lara, the sister she'll never know. Robert is happy again. He looks like he'll be Germany's first-choice goalkeeper at the next World Cup, 
More importantly, maybe he can accept the possibility he might not be. But depression is an illness. It can descend without warning, reason or logic. Hanover start the season badly. There's disruption behind the scenes, but nothing disastrous. Nothing like the tailspin Robert experienced in Catalonia. The symptoms rush back regardless. The lethargy, the indecision, the sudden tears, the inability to concentrate, the despondence about the most minor detail, a small stack of unopened letters, a dog barking too loud. Sleep is elusive, conversation stilted. This time is different, of course. The anchors are forearmed. They have tactics. Robert tries to impose more structure in his day. Teresa urges him to keep training. He gets back on the pills that helped the first time. Robert needs to talk. And this time, he knows it. But to who? He doesn't think he can trust the coaches, and he can't blame them either. Robert is unsure himself how a World Cup, a month of isolation, boredom and intense pressure might affect him. Honesty could cost him his career. If his depression comes out, what'll happen to Layla? Will the authorities leave her with a father who imagines his own death, who's in care himself? Again, he wouldn't blame them if they didn't. The depression starts feeding itself. The pressure of hiding it from the fans, from his coaches, from his teammates, builds. Sharing its darkness and depths with Teresa only increases his guilt. So Robert does start talking. He returns some calls, says he feels better. He plays for Hanover again after some time off. It's the first step back, he says. He organises some extra training on a Tuesday to get up to speed. He'll be back about half six, he says. But he isn't. And when Teresa rings the goalkeeping coach and asks about the session, he's confused. There is no session. It's a lie. All of it. Robert's been talking, but he's not been telling the truth. Instead, as Teresa goes to a doctor's appointment and buys steak for their dinner that day, Robert drives alone for eight hours. He changes the oil in the car. He visits Lara's grave. And as dusk falls, he parks up and leaves it unlocked, his wallet on the front seat. The last sighting of him is by the two drivers at the front of the Hamburg to Bremen express train. A figure, tall, thin, walking toward them along the tracks, them unable to stop or steer away. About half an hour later, a panicked Teresa searches their room, looking for clues about where her husband's gone, physically, mentally. On his bedside table, under a stack of magazines, she finds a note. It's to her. Robert apologises for his conscious deception. He's sorry for his lies, the talk that gives him time and space, that gave him a day to administer a remedy that's nothing of the kind. He says goodbye. Robert's face looms on front pages, his eyes, tired-looking, 
stare out of TV bulletins. It's beyond football. It's beyond Germany. Around the world, people look at the pictures of him playing just two days before his death. They look for outward signs of inner torment, any clue what lies on the other side of his close-clipped skull. One image from that final game haunts Teresa. In retrospect, the smallest detail becomes loaded with meaning. But this one feels significant. It's a photo that captures Robert, one hand raised, his eyes gazing up over the stand roofs to the sky. A farewell to her, a greeting to Lara. Certainly a sense of a man consigned to the next stage. A week on from that photo, and Robert is back at Hanover Stadium. 40,000 fans are in the stands again, but his teammates are dressed in black, not red. The match day rumble is replaced by silence. Rather than between the posts, Robert is in the centre of the pitch now, his coffin covered in a bouquet of white flowers. From the terraces comes a rendition of You'll Never Walk Alone, an anthem from another club, but a sentiment for all. Robert's death changes things. It creates things. A network of sports psychiatrists, independent of the clubs, is set up so players have a place to talk. A foundation in his name encourages them to find their voice. There's an awareness around that world that fat salaries and fan acclaim are no insulation against his illness. But something's lost as well. The end's so large, so public, that it obscures the small, private truths of what went before. His mother jokes about the memorial service in the stadium, the one with his coffin in the centre circle. For heaven's sake, she says, he's not Lenin. Suicide creates a black hole, one that sucks the light from Robert's short life. He's now always the depressive, the man who ended his own life, rather than the man who, between episodes, lived it with joy and compassion. There's a moment when he's asked in an interview to recall the mistakes he's made since returning to Germany. Robert pauses, stares into the middle distance as if deep in thought, says nothing for several seconds, turns back to the interviewer and answers, Man, I'm good. His face breaking into a broad smile. There are the squeals of his one-year-old goddaughter as he imitates a robot, mechanically hoisting her to his face for a kiss. There's another moment near the railway tracks. This comes 14 years before his death. Again, he waits all alone for hours, lingering, thinking. The sun dips and night falls. Trains come, trains go. He sits and watches in the cold. And then he sees what he's looking for. Teresa walking along the platform, still a teenager, She's travelled back from a weekly visit to her parents. Robert doesn't know when she'll arrive. So he waits, hoping to bump into the girl he sits next to in class. They go to a bar across the road. A few weeks later, they're a couple. Teresa can still talk about those moments. 
but the chance to hear them from Robert is gone. His voice is lost forever. If you've been affected by any of the issues we spoke about in this podcast or are worried about someone you love, please go to crowdnetwork.co.uk forward slash helplines to find a list of people you can go to for help. This episode of Death of a Sports Star was written by Mike Henson and it was performed by me, Emma Clark. It was edited by Charlie Frost. The music we used is from BMG Production Music. For research, we read the excellent book A Life Too Short by Ronald Reng, as well as the archives of Eleven Freunder, The Sunday Times and DW. If this is your first episode, we have a favour to ask. Recommend us to a friend or help us continue the series by leaving a review on the Apple Podcast app or simply by following us on Spotify. And then listen to more episodes. If you're a football fan, your next one should be the story of Justin Fashionu. And if you're a music fan, we have another series called Death of a Rockstar, about the lives of Freddie Mercury, Whitney Houston and George Michael. Just search for Death of a Rockstar in your podcast app. Thanks for listening. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix, dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the checkered flag. Get ready, race fans, because the ultimate NASCAR experience is about to hit the airwaves. Welcome to Pit Pass NASCAR, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart-pounding world of NASCAR racing. Join us each week as we bring you closer to the NASCAR action with exclusive interviews and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers, team members, and industry insiders. So whether you're a fan of super speedways, short ovals, or road racing, or you've just watched Talladega Nights, Pit Pass NASCAR is the podcast you've been waiting for. Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us. Launching in the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social media at pass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. 
And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals that you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. 